on deck on Turning the Corner. The Athletics' Cody Stavenhagen and co-host Kieran Steckley discuss the Detroit Tigers coming back down to earth and their initial impressions of the roster. And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, the Athletics, Cody Stavenhagen. Now, Cody, I think I could best sum up what we're experiencing right now as back to reality. The Tigers dropped two consecutive series after a opening season series win over Cleveland, Minnesota, and then Cleveland again with the loss this weekend. And for a lot of things that went right last week, a lot of things have gone wrong this week. That's how it tends to go in baseball. I think we were pretty positive on this podcast last week. It was the opening week. We were having fun. But there's also a podcast where we're going to preach. Don't overreact. Let's not treat a baseball game like a football game. There's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows. And the reality is these are the Detroit Tigers. They're still not that good. Uh, Unfortunately, we've seen that on the field. We've also seen kind of an overcorrection in terms of this team stayed really healthy throughout spring training. I was kind of all spring, like uh, an injury's got to be coming, an injury's got to be coming. Didn't happen until the regular season. Now we got Julio Tehran going to the 60-day DL after a uh, promising beginning, and Miguel Cabrera now on the 10-day IL. Um, I said DL with Tehran, but, uh, you know. It's okay, old habits. Called. You know, old habits. Uh, IL for Miguel Cabrera, 10 days, left bicep strain, uh, we don't have a ton of clarity on the severity of that one, but anytime Miggy's on the D- the uh, IL, it's uh, it's a little bit concerning. And that's the same biceps, right? That he had uh, was a surgery a couple years ago. Yeah, he ruptured that tendon in 2018, missed most of the 2018 season, so that's concerning. But there was also I had to look this up because I vaguely remembered it. There was a game in 2019 where he left with a uh, left bicep soreness and everyone was kind of freaking out saying, Oh, that's, that's the same biceps tendon. And he was fine. I think he played the next day. So something about this muscle Cabrera has continued to kind of aggravate. Um, You know, we'll have to see, is this a serious thing? Is this not a serious thing? He's going to get evaluated um, here on Sunday in Cleveland. And hopefully we'll learn more. A.J. Hinch said he noticed Miguel altering his swing. Kind of the finish of his swing was a lot more two-handed than it normally was. And th- and that's uh, that's when he got concerned and said somewhat as a precaution, okay, we, we need to get this looked at. But, uh, you know, I don't think you can entirely call it a precaution because he was hurt enough that he was altering his swing. So we'll see. Is this a strain? Is there something worse going on? Does he just need a few days off? Um, you know, so, so we got that going on. Akil Badu is over his last seven at the plate. So we're, everything's back to reality, uh, this week in Tigers land. Back to reality. And we're going to throw back to the past because with Tehran going on, I think what they do, they initially put him on 10 day and then they, with the Miguel news, they ended up putting him on 60 day, which was kind of forecasted on Saturday when AJ said like, mm-hmm. we're going to, this, we're going to be pretty long term he's not gonna be throwing for a while so you know anytime with pitchers obviously late scratches and then anything to do with the pitching arm 
uh, that could be really ba- real bad news. Uh, but we're going to get Michael Fulmer back in the starting rotation as a result of that. And he's earned it, hasn't he? Yeah, that's been probably the one big positive over the past week has been Fulmer. Unfortunately, my Michael Fulmer for closer campaign is uh, is no longer looking good again uh, because Michael Fulmer for starter is now going to happen. He's he's back in the rotation after some really nice bullpen performances. And he went four innings, um, you know, Friday night in Cleveland. Um, A.J. Hinch basically said, yeah, he wanted to stretch him out because if you need him in the rotation, you want to make sure he can go at least – you know, 50, 60 pitches. Fulmer's going to get that opportunity. Well-deserved. It's been fun to see him throwing well, throwing hard, using the slider um, as well as ever. I'm interested to see what happens going forward, though. I still like Fulmer in those shorter bursts out of the bullpen. I wonder if he's just able to let loose a little more, be a little more powerful with his mechanics and drive off that back leg. How is his body going to hold up if he's going four, five, six innings every time out? That's something to watch going going forward. But for right now, it's good to see a guy who has put in a lot of work for a couple years finally get some positive results. Well, I was going to say, I kind of feel bad thinking this, but I'm like slightly disappointed that bullpen Fulmer is no longer a thing for the you know foreseeable future because I was really enjoying that aspect and kind of seeing him grow into that role and maybe selfishly wanting your bold prediction to come to fruition. But it's also good for him. He wants to be a starter, and and he gets his chance. So as well, speaking of getting chances, Alex Lang comes up. I know he only pitched one inning. We're recording this on Sunday, April 11th. So yesterday he pitched one inning. But, you know, it was a clean inning, and it's nice to see a guy get his shot. Yeah, we saw some flashes of pretty dominant stuff from Lang early on in spring training. He does still have a tendency to uh, to misfire, to use a Ron Gardenhire term. His command's not always great, but he was really good in his one inning against the the heart of the Cleveland lineup. Um, the guy's curveball can be pretty wicked, and that's why he was pushing for a spot on the roster out of spring training. I think the most interesting thing about Lang is he hasn't really pitched in a competitive setting since 2019 the the Tigers got him in the Nick Castellanos trade his numbers in the minors weren't very good and this is a guy who's a first round pick Uh, the Tigers thought he could have success if he transitioned to the bullpen he pitched in Erie he did he did fairly well there and then he didn't pitch until you know now and he got a lot better in those two years he wasn't at the alternate training site until the tail end of last year and I talked to him about it a little bit on Saturday and basically asked, do you think this was like the right thing for you? And not pitching games, he was able to step back. He was able to increase his velocity, totally revamp his mechanics, did a lot of pitch design stuff, really honed this this curveball he's got going on. And he basically said, yeah, I was able to work on some stuff that I could not have focused on <clears throat> if I were pitching every day or every fifth day or whatever in a regular season. So it's it's an interesting player development crux. We talked about it all last year. How will guys respond? Is this going to separate guys who guys or teams that are able to take advantage of this time and those who are not? Uh, Alex Lang is a guy who took advantage of that time, used it to his benefit. A lot of it was on his own. And now here he is in the major leagues. It's, it's actually kind of cool to see. I felt like a broken record in several of our 
first couple podcasts where we would discuss infield or pitching and sort of my go-to phrase was a lot of this stuff will play itself out play itself out naturally and injuries essentially was what I was talking about and we see that here and we see that with another call up as a result of the Cabrera injury Renato Nunez very controversial I guess you could call it when he was not on the opening day roster, but we had said the opening day roster is not really going to reflect the day-to-day and season roster. There's going to be a lot of changes, and here we are a weekend, and he gets a start at DH. It's almost like you understand the ebbs and flows of a baseball season, Kieran. Good job. I will say Nunez, I'm surprised he stayed in this organization. Um, he, you know, I thought he would have opportunities elsewhere. He said he had a couple of other teams interested, basically on a similar minor league deal. Uh, one thing he liked about the Tigers was, as we, as we have talked about, they don't have a, a real first baseman. So he and his agent decided the best opportunity was probably to stay in the Tigers organization, go to the alt site. He ends up on the taxi squad, and sure enough, Miguel Cabrera's hurt. Nunez is going to start at DH on Sunday. He's going to play uh, at least two of the three games in Houston. At first base, I would not be shocked if we see a lot of uh, a lot of Nunez at first. And I had to do like a like a breaking news headline for the Athletic on Miguel Cabrera's injury, and I had to like answer a couple questions. And one of them was, "What does this mean for the Tigers lineup?" And I didn't write this one there because things in print play differently than they play, you know, on a podcast on the radio. But this might just be a good thing for the Tigers lineup. Ronaldo Nunez hit 31 homers in 2019. I don't see anyone on this team who's going to hit 31 homers. Yeah, you'd like to see him walk or get on base more. That's probably not going to happen. But this lineup might have just got an upgrade uh, uh, through this injury, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, and upgrades greatly needed. Coming into Sunday, Tigers have about the seventh worst uh, run scored in Major League Baseball batting average and on-base percentage near or at the bottom. Scoring has been hard to come by, and for a pitching staff that is obviously not top-notch, it's, there's not a whole lot of room for error for those guys. It, it's one of those things where on the game Saturday, Scooble gives up that three-run home run or whatever, and I'm thinking... Uh, that's a pretty deep hole for this lineup. <laughs> so Nunez is a welcome addition if he can get his 2019 form. Yeah, I think the most frustrating thing to watch this week has been all the chases outside of the zone, all just the bad at-bats. The Tigers rank first in chase rate in 2018, first in 2019, um, second worst in 2020. They are third worst in the league right now. There's been a lot of talk throughout the organization of, okay, we're focusing more on plate discipline. Um, I think you've seen that in some of their acquisitions in Robbie Grossman, who who um, actually has good numbers there. But the bottom line is so much of this lineup is the same or guys who just have this high chase profile. And, and we've, we've seen a lot of it. We've seen it. Good pitchers take advantage of it. And if you're not swinging at good pitches, if you're not swinging at strikes, if you're getting yourself down in the count by chasing bad pitches, that's not a good recipe for success. And unfortunately, that's still just the profile of uh, a lot of these Tigers hitters. Something Lloyd McClendon, you know, liked to say was you can't win the Kentucky Derby with a mule. And 
unfortunately, that's just the reality of this Tigers order a little bit, and it's probably not going to change much throughout the rest of this season. Also problematic, third most grounded in the double plays of, mm-hmm. of anyone in baseball, and 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 I that was kind of confirmation bias. I felt like they were grounding into a whole lot of double plays. I went and looked it up this morning, and when there's a guy on first base. Normally, that seems like, you know, with less than two outs, it seems like, all right, see if they can get something going here. I actually sort of, like, dread the upcoming double play whenever there's a guy on first base, especially given the lack of speed by a lot of guys in a lineup. So, some downtrodden offensive numbers. Here's a good one. Nico Goodrum, quietly, <laughs> quietly been solid is that is that the best way to put it six starts this year he's uh he's had some hits fall in most most of them most of his hits have been uh when he's batting righty he's a lot better righty but he did have um, a hit fall in from the left side so again uh, last week people were ready to cut nico goodrum and to be honest hey he, he did look really bad uh but now yeah somewhat quietly he's uh you know, he's hitting, I guess, 278, you know, which it's too early to care about batting average at all, but he's had some hits fall in. He's kind of got hot a little bit, so I think it's a reminder of just be patient. I think the biggest thing is, as a right-hander, uh, granted, he only has a few plate appearances, but he's hitting 500. As a left-hander, he's hitting 214, although, so, so he has three hits from the left side of the plate now. Um, in addition to six strikeouts, even from the left side, he started to pick it up a little bit. Um, and I think we've seen the Tigers put him in some good situations when he's able to bat righty. He's uh, he's a lot better, which brings up an old thing that Ron Gardenhire's staff even talked about. Like, is there a time where this guy should just give up on, um, on hitting lefty because his career splits suggest that would almost be a good idea? He's a 206 career hitter left-handed, 326 career hitter right-handed. But, you know, if you if you ask a switch hitter to stop switch hitting, then suddenly, you know, how is he going to fare against um against righties from the right side? Is it much better? Is it even worth it? That that gets into a whole complicated discussion. And there have been coaches who have talked to Nico Goodrum about this before. So I, I, I think the fact that he hasn't done it yet means he will probably continue to be a switch hitter. The big thing is to improve a little bit from the left side. It seems like he chases power too much from the left side and swings and misses a lot. But yeah, to your point, Karen, uh, it's been a good good few days for Nico Goodrum. Maybe we don't have to rush to uh, to cutting him and, and declaring the Nico Goodrum era over just yet. Yeah, it's funny you brought that up because I had that thought as well. Is like, why doesn't he just focus on being a right-handed hitter? But I guess maybe maybe it's a comfort thing, and especially if basically your whole life you're used to seeing the ball from the opposite side of the plate. That that might be a little bit much, and maybe wreck what the good part of what you do as a switch hitter. And I mentioned this earlier: six starts. I don't. Is that my first impression on that? Is that's more than I expected, you know, one week ish plus into the season. What is am I wrong there? Uh, it's a little more than I thought, too. Yeah, six of the first eight games. I mean, that's basically being a, a regular player where I, as I got the sense, he would probably take a little bit of a step back toward the beginning of this year I think in a way it's related to how much AJ Hinch was using Miguel Cabrera at first which was a little more than I expected Hinch 
you know, I asked him one day early this week, just kind of about how he would balance that. And he said, yeah, we probably won't do back-to-back days. And then the next day he had Mikel Cabrera in the lineup at first for a second consecutive day. Um, that allowed Nico to play to play some second. Um, I think he's liked kind of that combination or days when where where scopes at first. He's he's like Nico at second. He's liked the uh, kind of the defensive you know the the defensive lineup there. The way Nico can kind of roam around in the shift a little bit. We'll see how things do or do not change. Um, now that Renato Nunez is going to slot in, it doesn't seem like AJ Hinch likes Nico playing first as much as I would have thought. That was kind of one of my thoughts earlier. Is we're going to see a lot of Nico at first. Doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. So far, we've seen more of him playing second, which I like because he's a pretty good athlete, and I would favor putting guys like that basically anywhere else besides first base. Uh, yeah, I I tend to agree. I actually think he should probably be playing shortstop instead of Willie Castro. I think you should flip-flop those two, but we're we're not quite there yet, although we did see the uh, Willie Castro throwing problem recur last night, Saturday, um, in Cleveland. Well, since you brought it up, just for the sake of a way-too-early and sort of useless grade, what's his grade, Willie Castro, fielding eight games in the yeah, season? Yeah, he's been... I don't know, uh, you know, 40 grade if I were going to scout him. He hasn't been terrible, but he definitely hasn't been above average. You know, there was a play on that that hard hit ball that could have been a double play that um, I guess ended up bouncing off of him and onto to Jonathan Scope. That was a really tough play to make. I don't blame him for uh, for not making that play. He wasn't charged with an error, I don't think. But it's a play that you'd like to see your shortstop make when that ball was hit i was thinking uh willie castro is not making this play and he didn't make that play and then he continues to struggle with with some routine throws um i feel like he still hasn't been tested a lot he hasn't been called on but i think we're learning that there's a guy who's not going to make those plus plays at shortstop and it's still a little iffy on some of the uh some of the routine plays. So, uh, you know, I'm still not impressed, but it hasn't been abysmal. You know, I think he only has one error right now. Um, so it could be worse, but we'll, we'll see how it evolves going forward. We would not be a Detroit Tigers podcast worth your Apple or Spotify subscription if we didn't spend some time on Akil Badu. Now, you did mention he's on a less-than-ideal streak of late, but he did begin the week just essentially establishing himself as the king of baseball. He had a walk-off hit, he had a nice little triple, threw a guy out at second base with just like the the best arm since Al Kaline. I think you tweeted that out that uh, was the best arm since Al Kaline and Roberto. I did not tweet that out. No, I'm just kidding. It was a one hopper, but he got the guy (laughs) out. (laughs) A very average throw. But yeah, I did tweet out the booby miles gif and he can pass. Which uh, which was very which was very appropriate. Um, he looks like a guy that right now you just got to give him games and at bats and and let him let him be a part of your rotation. He is not a novelty. He's not a guy that you're just keeping just because you have to with the Rule Five draft implications. Like forever, it's worth. He's made himself a guy that's made me forget about the whole five outfielders thing on the opening day roster. Yeah, I think here's where I've settled with Badu now that, you know, we'll see if the magic is over. I don't know. 
but you know, at least he's he's come back to reality a little bit. He's not going to hit a home run every single at bat. Um, you know, he even got left on the on deck circle in the ninth one day when uh, when it seemed like things were going to just continue following his way, and he would continue coming up in these dramatic situations. It seems like we're kind of smoothing things out to again back to reality a little more. Uh, pitchers have already changed up how they're attacking him. He's seeing a lot of high fastballs in. He's seeing a lot of soft stuff away. Actually, a pretty simple recipe to get it, get hitters out. It's that. It's been some sliders kind of in and under his hands, too. Um, he's actually still seeing a little bit more fastballs than I would have expected, especially Cleveland's uh, challenging him with some fastballs, but they've been all hard in. So, again, a lot of hard in, a lot of soft away. Um he hasn't really squared one up. He's he's uh, one for his last eight, over for his last seven. Again, not a huge sample, so we, we shouldn't overreact to that either. But I think it's brought a reminder that, okay, this guy has some talent, or he wouldn't have done what he has done. We have to go back to kind of treating him like the Rule 5 pick he is. Akil Badu should probably be in double A right now. The fact that he's had some success actually is still encouraging. I think we got to go back to looking at him as more of a future product, and if he can contribute enough to remain on the roster throughout this year, then suddenly you can probably feel pretty optimistic um, about him going into next year. He's 22. He's the youngest player on this team. He really is still a prospect playing in the big leagues. So it seems like the Tigers might have done good in getting a Rule 5 pick, even if he's not Roberto Clemente, even if he does not continue to be the best storyline in baseball all year, as fun as that would be. We've talked about this before. Like, there's a romanticism with baseball, and seeing his family, like, in the stands, watching his home run and, and seeing his success and and all that goes into, like, you know, I'm not a father, you're not a father. I could only imagine what it would be like to see, like, our son hit a major league home run. It was one of those things that just kind of made you feel great about about baseball and about America and about springtime and summer and all that stuff. And maybe we could use more reminders of that in today's culture. And, you know, because obviously you and I talk a lot off air and not always about the Tigers, but it, like you, you go on a date with a girl and you say it goes well, but what, what could happen in the future? I was like, dude, relax. Just take the good date as a dub, have a dub. And, you know, whatever happens, it doesn't take away from you know, you had yourself a good night. So with Akil Badu, part of me, the romantic side of me is like, you know, he might flame out. He might not be a member of this team next year or whatever. But man, it was really fun to watch those first couple games of his career. And and, and as a baseball fan, I find that as great as anything. Yeah, like, like the Chris Shelton, you know, his name has been dropped a lot. And it's like, yeah, the guy kind of flamed out. He didn't have the best career. I still wonder if Chris Shelton might finish with more career homers than Akil Badu. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but we talk about Chris Shelton because what he did for a magical few weeks, uh, one season, and then he kind of flamed out. Our, our Pistons writer at The Athletic, James Edwards, was like talking about how he was going to cop a Badu jersey. And he was asking me, basically, is this guy going to stick around? And I was like... Well, I don't really know, man, but even if he doesn't, it'd be kind of a sweet jersey to have. It might be even more cool if, like, he's never heard from again. And you're Yeah, no one this, would ever you know, criticize you for yeah. having a Badu jersey 10 years from yeah, now. Yeah, like, I think that would be awesome to have 10 years from now, especially if, like, we never hear from Akil Badu again. So, right, for, for him, for his family, 
What a memory. He'll get to talk about this for the rest of his life. Tigers fans, I'm probably going to do like an Akil Badu story in 10 years, you know, looking back at his first week in the bigs, regardless of what happens for the remainder of his career. Um, and, and again, I, I don't think it's fair to rule him out now. Uh, I'm still, you know, pretty skeptical about the success he'll have for the rest of this season. But if you think of it as he's 22, is he now your second best outfield prospect behind Riley Green? Like, there's pretty compelling arguments to be made there. Um, I think he and Daz Cameron are actually very similar players in terms of their their skill sets. So, uh, with Badu probably having a better plate approach and being able to draw a few more walks, or or at least not chase as much. Uh, so now I'm rambling, but I don't know. Like, uh, continues to be something to follow and you know what if you want a Badu jersey go buy a Badu jersey yeah I don't think you'll regret that money spent but I was gonna also gonna say like he's played well enough and I like the style of which he plays that I kind of think I wouldn't mind him being one of the candidates for like your future outfield in two years three years like you know you don't give him a spot but He's shown, he's shown me enough that, like, I want that to be the case. And given the circumstances of how he got to this team, how his professional career has gone to this point, that's an accomplishment. That's an accomplishment, regardless of what happens. Yeah, here's my overarching point when you start talking about the future. This team needs guys who can hit the baseball because they don't have many right now. We are seeing that. It's been a harsh reminder of just how bad this lineup can be. Um... So I, for Akil Badu, I think a big part of his future is going to be can he can can he play center field? If he can play a above average center field, he has a chance to stick around. If he's going to be at the corners, well, you're going to have Riley Green at one of the corners, and I think eventually you're going to have to go get yourself a uh, a power bat at the other corner, and then it seems like they want you know they want to lean heavy on defense in center field. And, and we don't know who that'll be, if that could be a Badu or even a Derek Hill or a Daz Cameron, or if they'll have to go get someone externally to roam center field in Comerica Park. I think that might be the biggest component because I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, we'll see how he hits. Uh, I don't think he's going to be an all-star hitter in the major leagues, at least. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. This kid c- keeps proving me wrong. I don't know anything about baseball. I'm going to stop criticizing Akil Badu. What a story. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... Is is AJ going to give him ample opportunity in center? I, we've we've seen a little. I would have expected to see a little bit more of him in center. And to be honest, I can't. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about him in center because I don't think I've seen enough of him. Um, he's he's seemed to handle himself. You sort of assume he'd be yeah. a good center fielder just because he's fast, but obviously there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, and the, I think the scouting reports were basically like he could play major league center field. Uh, when the Tigers took him in the Rule 5, but it doesn't seem like um, A.J. Hinch has been as as big on that. So he probably does have a lot to learn in terms of positioning, in terms of pre-pitch. Um, he's, he's made some good plays on the corners. We have seen the arm is probably, uh, probably below average, um, which, again, you can get by with that in center probably. But, yeah, we haven't really seen him. I don't know. I'd like to see more of him, see how he, he responds, see how he plays center field in Comerica. I do think it's probably telling that we've seen a little bit more of him in, in kind of in left field so far. Yeah, obviously not a right field arm. Are we? Do we need to put anybody on watch of the five outfielders? It doesn't seem like it's taking anything away from the rest of the roster right now. 
Yeah, I always thought it was a temporary setup, but then you start looking at, well, okay, like what's going to give as much as like, yeah, Jacoby Jones needs to get a couple knocks. And as we said on this podcast, Jacoby Jones is a streaky hitter. Uh, He's starting off slow right now. I'm sure he will get hot and tear it up. Like I would not be on a rush to send Jacoby Jones down to AAA right now. Um, So far, Hinch has done a good job mixing in all these guys. Robbie Grossman might be your best offensive player. And, you know, Victor Reyes is Victor Reyes and has actually played some good defense in center field. The Cabrera thing, losing him in a way, although Renato Nunez is not a more flexible player, um, when you don't have Nunez and Cabrera at the same time, it doesn't really hinder your lineup that much. Right now, Tigers are making it work pretty well. And I think unless there's an injury, uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see it continue I think AJ Hinch always viewed it as kind of a temporary setup because again, things will play themselves out. One of your one of your outfielders is probably gonna pull a hammy or something tracking down a ball, and then suddenly you have four outfielders and you're not worried about it as much. As much as we don't want anyone to get hurt, that's another thing that's uh probably just the reality. I don't think we'll see five outfielders all year. But for now, the Tigers have done a pretty good job of making it work. So we go from Badu, a guy who, you know, who knows what his long term status is with the team to a guy that better have a good long-term status Casey Mize Casey Mize made his first start of the season on Tuesday he went four innings he allowed five hits one run which was earned two walks four strikeouts and it seemed like the Casey Mize that we saw in spring training where there were flashes of all right here we go he's he's turned the corner himself and Maybe the command wasn't there. Your, you know, your innings are a little bit longer than than you would like. And you know, I was encouraged, but I also wasn't. We just now we're almost thirty minutes. We're about thirty minutes into this thing. We're just now getting the Casey Mize. If he had been lights out, that we probably would have led the podcast with him. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things. Like Mize struck out the first two batters, and he looked electric. And I was kind of going, "Oh, like okay, here we go." And then Nelson Cruz knocks a single and was like, okay. I think Dan Dickerson did a great job pointing this out on the radio. The biggest thing that happened in that Casey Mize start was the Minnesota lineup made great adjustments. It's a game of adjustments, and they started laying off that high four-seam fastball. They started laying off the outside slider. That's what Mize used um, primarily the first time through the order, and it, it was working really good for him. The it, it registers on StatCast as a slider. Mize calls it a cutter because he wants to throw it hard. To me, as much as we talk about the splitter, I think Casey Mize is at his best when he has that cutter working. And he, he really had it working um, in his start last week. But then Minnesota started really laying off of it. They started forcing him to pound the strike zone. They weren't chasing that high fastball. And then his pitch count started running up. And then uh, I think his command broke down. A little bit so he's pulled after 82 pitches four innings you look at the line you know only one earned run that's still pretty good but he did have the two walks it was it was another my start we were like okay there is really good stuff in here but it hasn't quite all come together yet and uh i think let's see who was catcher that day griner was catching i would have liked to see griner and, and mys too make a little bit more of a game plan adjustment it seems like once the minnesota lineup adjusted Mize didn't really adjust back and find a new way to go after these hitters, and that's why the outing ends up being, well, pretty good, not great. How do we feel about Griner being like the 
the battery mate for seemingly all the young all the young uh, pitchers because like I kind of like it, but then again I'm like, ah, but you're really taken out offensively, and I know Ramos is on a one year deal and you know all that stuff, so it's not like they're you know there's catch of the future implications here, but I'd like to see them work with their number one catcher. I continue to be a little puzzled by why they signed Wilson Ramos. Granted, he's he's hit for some power. He's uh, again a welcome addition offensively to what was one of the worst, you know, offensive position groups in the history of the baseball over the past two years. Talking about the Tigers catchers, but the big thing was you know like with Jake Rogers, like oh we want him working with these young pitchers when they signed Romine last year, like oh we want a veteran working with these young pitchers. And they got Ramos, who, let's be honest, he's looked really bad defensively behind the plate. That was kind of his rep coming in. The Tigers thought they could help him improve a little bit, or they thought maybe he already had improved his pitch framing. Uh, it's been pretty rough, rough to the point that they don't want him catching Scooble, a guy whose stuff moves all over the place, a guy who's younger. They think Griner's a little bit of a better game planner, so he's working with Mize. The reality is Grayson Griner is not a veteran. I've never been. Imp- I thought. I thought you could tell a stark difference last year when Romine was calling pitches and when Griner was calling pitches because it seemed to be a lot smoother with Romine. Griner is probably an average defender at best. Uh, there was there was that Casey Mize. Uh, was it the fourth inning where it's he probably should have struck out Jake Cave, but he didn't get the strike three call. And if, if you look at the video, Griner just did a terrible job of framing that pitch. He brought his glove under the zone and then back up, which is pretty much the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Or really, you're supposed to, to just kind of stick it. And he plunged his glove below the zone, and it was called a ball, and it ends up costing Casey Mize 10 more pitches in that inning. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. I wish you had. That's where you want Jake Rogers being able to hit well enough to be in the majors and to be a plus defender and be a, a catcher of the future working with the pitchers of the future. It doesn't seem like that plan is really going to come quite to fruition. So instead you're left with this Griner Ramos setup and it's not ideal. Is play calling or I guess pitch calling ability something that AJ could like really work with Ramos on or is or, or is essentially the book been written on that and it's just not what he does like at the level that maybe we like and that's why he's essentially a journeyman at this point yeah that's a, a good question you would like to think with a staff that's as savvy as this one that between AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter they could you know write out a game plan and maybe help Wilson Ramos understand and be able to call a better game himself but i think the reality is like you get into it with Griner when the other team makes an adjustment when they start laying off one pitch you know you as a catcher and the guy on the mound you have to be able to make an adjustment back and i think some of that is instinctual some of that um you know no pregame meetings no data no charts are going to quite uh quite put you over the top and that's just not uh the number one thing in Wilson Ramos's toolbox so like can he improve a little bit through the you know pregame prep probably but i don't think there's going to be some magical transfer transformation where he's a great game caller um and also you just want to see him knock the ball down a little more than he does both uh pitching the we saw him, I think, charged with an error. I don't remember who, who the error was charged on, but an errant Mazzara throw home that bounced once and, like, 
I have no idea how that got by Wilson Ramos, but it allows a run to score in that setup in an awful day in uh, in that Minnesota series. I assume they charged that to Mazzara. It was. But, it was uh, I'm looking at now E9 or Mazzara. Listening to Dan call that, and especially with Jim Price uh, as, his, as his partner, they're basically like, well, you know... It's a ball that you got to knock down as a catcher. It wasn't even like a short hop. It was like a pretty big hop, and he just he just missed it. And I was like, "That's that's not good, man." That was that was Willie Castro esque. I'm sorry, Willie. I didn't I didn't mean to do whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, I, I didn't mean whoa. to do that. I didn't mean to do that. You want to talk about fielding blunders? Let's talk about Brian Garcia has twice missed first base, covering first. Yeah. Uh, key moments basic too. PFP well, the first one was and, key. Yeah, and he had the right reaction, and then he just doesn't step on the bag i'm a little befuddled i'm wondering if he like you know obviously if you're the pitcher coming first you're supposed to kind of tail yourself to where you're running down the line and you step on the bag and and you're in fair territory so you don't get steamrolled i wonder if he like got steamrolled at some point because in his career because he almost looks a little hesitant like he's afraid of stepping in the baseline i don't know but it's uh that's been really weird and and pretty basic stuff that you would uh i mean it's it's day it's day one uh, spring training workouts, right? PFP. Yeah, day one, and really every day of spring training, and it's it's not that hard. So we were kind of hoping to counteract the pessim- pessimism of this week with, hey, at least Scooble is dialed in, and as we <laughs> talked on Saturday of you know what we were gonna do today, and uh, that didn't happen. He decided that he'd rather give up. 18 home runs, uh, then give us the opportunity to talk about how great he's been. Uh, so two starts. First one, very positive. Second one, his uh, rotations were down. His miles per hour was down. He wasn't commanding his pitches like, A, he needs to, or B, um, what he wants to. And it showed. They just teed off on him several times yesterday. Yeah, I was hoping this whole podcast was going to be about Scooble. Like, let's just make it a Scooble feature. We're going to talk about how good he did. I'm going to plug my story on how much his teammates think he's great. Uh, that didn't go well. And, you know, classic, the media is hyping up Scooble too much, at least. Is there people on Twitter saying the media is hyping him too much? Uh, I don't think so. I think there was a negative comment on my story, a negative comment or two on my story, which... You know, when a guy gives up three bombs, what do you expect? Comes with the territory. Um, I do like Scooble. I don't think his teammates would say these things if, if there weren't some level of truth to him. It does sound a little different. Like, I've done this long enough now. You can tell the difference between when guys are just spouting off platitudes and when they're not. But anyway, I think it was very concerning that Tarek Scooble's spin rates were down significantly. Baseball savant, particularly on his four-seam fastball, um, and, and this is going to get in the weeds, especially for some of you guys who aren't big on analytics, but I'm going to try to explain it. Um, basically, his, his RPMs, you know, last year he averaged about 2,400 on the four-seam fastball. It's pretty good, a little bit above average. Yeah, it actually would have ranked, I think, 115th in the majors, which doesn't sound great, but there are a lot of pitchers in the major leagues. Last night, uh, his spin rate was around 2,171, so down 250 RPMs. 2171 last year would have ranked 400th, so a pretty big a pretty big difference. Uh, I dove into some numbers more. 538 and Fangraphs have done some good research on 
what spin rate means. Uh, so Scooble's fastball was down about a mile per hour on average, and it was dropping about um, an inch more on average. So you want a fastball to stay true, to ride through the zone, to not drop very much, to have the illusion almost that it's rising. Um, so that wasn't happening as much. An inch sounds like a, minus <clears throat> a minuscule difference. But Fangraphs did a, a really good chart a couple years ago. And if you're throwing 93 miles an hour with a 2200 RPM spin rate, your average swinging strike rate is going to be 6.7%. Okay, so if you're throwing one mile an hour faster, 94, and 200 more RPMs, 2400, your swinging strike rate is 8.5%. So a pretty big difference, almost 2% more likely to get a, a swinging strike. You can dive deeper into the numbers. Just the batting average between 22 and 2400 RPMs. It's like the difference between an above average fastball and a very average major league fastball. Scooble's spin was down on all his pitches. It was like that in his first outing too. Um, I asked about it, didn't get a clear answer. Scooble kind of acted like he was unaware. One theory that's been tossed out there is, was Scooble a big pine tar guy? You know, they've cracked down on substances that pitchers can use on the mound. It's thought that, uh, that, you know, that can add two to 300 RPMs to your spin. Now, if you go and look at, which I did Saturday night, cause I had nothing else going on. Uh, look at a bunch of other pitchers in baseball. We aren't we aren't seeing a huge decline. We've actually seen a slight uptick in the average spin. The top fifty pitchers in the bigs, we haven't really seen a noticeable decline in spin. Um, so I don't know. I think I would at this point I would just say it's something to watch going forward. It's a little bit concerning that his stuff just wasn't there Saturday, but maybe it was just a bad night for a young pitcher. Yeah, and there's going to be plenty more of those, just generally speaking. That's the ebbs and flows, as we've talked about several times on this episode. The ebbs and flows of baseball, especially being a young pitcher trying to figure out. And But at least Chris Fetter is back. So he, he had COVID. He had to miss uh, the last part of spring training and you know first part of the season. But Chris Fetter is back in the, in the clubhouse. So hopefully he can be there to kind of help turn things around. That is good, and as someone who has quarantined, it's not fun, but uh, after watching those first two games, I wonder if Chris Fetter is considering returning to quarantine because they, were, <laughs> they, were, they weren't super pretty. And, and also, I think it's worth mentioning, Matthew Boyd has looked good. So he's got, he's, he's got two stars, yeah. 213 ERA, and that's uh, over a little bit more than 12 innings, which I feel like kind of has to be noted given what we just talked about with Tehran and the bullpen and all that stuff. So he's, he's going in the games and uh, 10 strikeouts, four walks. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm me personally, I'm pretty happy with what I've seen from Matthew boy. Cause I kind of, you know, I kind of had this like, uh, I don't know, like what pitcher is he really, but it's only two starts, but it, he has looked good. Yeah, let's not give him the Cy Young Award yet. Uh, that's I not, think, that's I not. think this has been about an ideal start for Boyd. And I think Matthew Boyd at his best is probably like the pitcher we saw this last week where he goes seven innings, he allows three runs, but he strikes out eight. He bobs his way out of, tr out of what could have been more trouble. Um, he threw an inordinate amount of first pitch strikes. I think first pitch strikes to his first 18 batters. 
got ahead went, uh, to 24 of 27 hitters that he faced. Kind of crazy. Really good. You love to see him attacking the strike zone. Probably a little bit of an outlier that's like never going to happen again because it was uncanny how well he was getting ahead. <clears throat> but he pitched really well the first few innings. Then seemed like he started nibbling around the strike zone a little more. Then you get third time around the order. He gives up three just lasers. I think they all had more than 100 mile an hour exit velocities, um, and including a double to Polanco. And he ends up giving up three runs and it ends up, uh, you know, kind of being the difference in the game. So it wasn't the ideal finish. I think it was a reminder that that's probably who Matthew Boyd is. You just want him more in the mm, two to three earned run range than like the five to six and, and giving up homers. It's been a good outing. It's been a good start, but um, he still has a tendency to leave some balls over the plate to struggle as he gets a little bit deeper in games. I think the sheer numbers are probably actually a little bit better than uh, the performance, especially in his, his second outing. Um but it, it has been a little bit of a difference where he didn't just hang a center, center cut slider that uh, the first two guys in the order hit out of the ballpark. So it's been an improvement, actually. No start. home runs allowed this season. That's, hey, no home runs. That's huge for Matthew Boyd. That's massive for Matthew Boyd. So let's see. Let's see how he does in outing number three. Now, normally, Cody, at the end of an episode, I ask you if there's any stories you're working on. Because, I, you know, number one, I believe in your work. I think... You're one of the better writers covering baseball today. Two, you're a friend of mine, so I want to support you. And three, want to do good by the athletic, a company whose business model I believe in. But now I'm going to ask you the same question for a different reason. So do you have any big features coming up so that I can sell stock in, uh, in somebody? Because the school, the Scooble one di- didn't work out. Ooh. Yeah, that didn't work. I, uh, I, I'm open to recommendations. I've held off on writing 10,000 words about Akil Badu because I wasn't quite comfortable buying that stock high. So uh, I, I, for me, that's part of the balance, right? Like you want to drop stories on guys at the right time when people are interested in them. And sometimes in baseball, that's really hard because a guy gets hot and I've had it happen before. And then you write, you do all this work, you talk to people and then he's like, DFA'd and like you know uh who was it um to Ronnie Rodriguez I had a really good Ronnie Rodriguez story going two years ago and there was like a little hang up there was like something I was trying to confirm in the reporting and by the time I got the answer he had cooled off and then he literally got DFA'd and that story just never ran it's in the abyss you know yeah It's, it's somewhere buried in my google docs and it will uh you know maybe publish it like after my death or something like the the the, you know, the unpublished <laughs> works but <laughs> there are also some manuscripts uh you know beneath this board right here make sure make sure someone gets those um but like i don't know you can write a really good story but if you write a really good story on a guy who's terrible probably no one's gonna read it and then that's like that's kind of pointless so it's an interesting balance as as a writer uh, so anyway, I'm open to story ideas. You can hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up on the email. Um, nothing huge in the works right now. I think a big storyline next week is AJ Hinch returning to Houston. And again, I think covered that pretty well in the Hinch story I did in, in spring training. But this will be his first trip back. And then he'll go to Oakland. He'll be in some hostile territory as well. Do you think he will get booed? Um, not in Houston. I think, uh, the Houston fans seem to really like him. 
Houston players have talked about it's going to be kind of weird facing him. AJ talked a lot about the scandal and owned up to it this offseason and and when he was hired to get the Tigers job. It seems like now he's really trying to downplay it and say, you know, kind of be like he does he's done being the story. He got that out of, out of the way in the offseason for a reason. So he hasn't said a lot. He's kind of downplaying the emotions. But he does admit Houston's uh, kind of home to him. It's a special city. When he gets on the plane, he's going to check into a hotel in, in Houston where he has a residence, and he's going to be there as a visitor, and I'm sure that'll be strange. I think it will actually be more interesting to see how he is received in Oakland, obviously a division rival that uh, that did not take well to the Astros when they were there earlier. Someone asked AJ, like, how are you preparing yourself for if you get booed or some sort of negative reception? And he just said, yeah, I'll handle it. Which was code for I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that was just code for f off. <laughs> so yeah, something like that. Um, I'm sure he'll get booed a little bit in Oakland, uh, as he probably will on the road throughout a lot of this season. But I don't know. Maybe I've just been around Hinge too long now. I'm I'm kind of with him and like, okay, like we've kind of talked about this. There's not much new to say, much new to to add to that storyline, in my opinion. And it is. You know, it's not last year. It's two years ago with the breaking, and I don't know. It just feels like time to move on. You can have your fun at the beginning of the season, like for like opposing fans, but the team in general, not just AJ. You can have your fun, but eventually that stuff's gonna die off. And I don't know would AJ even notice like being booed anymore. Like he's been a manager for a while, and he was an unsuccessful manager his first time around. He was probably booed by the home fans over in Arizona. I would guess. I think he was booed really early on when he, he made a mistake in like his second or third game because he wasn't a popular hire when he was hired. So yeah, he's uh he knows what that's like actually. And talk about not getting a break after Minnesota and Cleveland back to back. Then you gotta go down to Houston and welcoming you to H Town is Zach Grinke, who will be matched up against Casey Mai. So Tigers Tigers bats get no days off uh to start the week. No, I think that's really the most interesting thing. We forget about this with Houston. Like, you're going to play a really good baseball team. You have some tough pitching matchups to face. Uh, you hope some guys in this lineup can get hot a little bit. Otherwise, it could be a pretty rough three games. I think Mize will be fun to watch in Houston. We could get to see a little Mize Correa matchup of uh, some 1 1 picks, which is kind of fun. But. Um, yeah, the Tigers are going to have a lot on their plate with the Astros, and and you'd like it be an ideal time to get a really good start out of Casey Mize, or get a couple guys to start clicking in the lineup, just so you can kind of survive and and weather this storm through the rest of the road trip. And we know Mize is a, as we've said, a thinker and highly motivated. Going up against one of the best pitchers of his generation, if that doesn't get his juices flowing, I don't know what will. Yeah, I think I think Mize likes this situation. Uh, Grinky's funny because Grinky's a thinker too, but just in a different, far less emotional way. You yeah, know, like in a different atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So actually, two two interesting personalities on the mound, if nothing else. Uh, I'm sure Mize will be fired up for it, and I think he wants to have like that that breakthrough start. Like I, he'll never admit it, but I think he would feel really good if he dealt like seven innings of of one run ball or something. I don't know if it'll happen against that Houston lineup that's really good, 
But I think Casey Mize wants it and is kind of craving that sort of outing. So one of the things that we're going to start doing on this podcast, and you know, we just talked about the Tigers going down to Houston. You and I both can confirm that Texas barbecue is top notch. Superior. It is superior. And so we're going to gonna talk a little bit of food at the end of each episode and one of the ideas i had is why don't we give the people like a barbecue sauce to try or you know uh, uh some grilling method because uh, i mean i'll be honest one of the things i love to do during the summer is i fire up my grill i'm a charcoal guy fire up my grill listen to dan dickerson call a tigers game you know and you know cook burgers hot dogs chicken chicken wings you know country style ribs i mean the works there's not much i don't put on there but that's one of my favorite activities to do so why don't we kind of give the people some some things we i don't want to be as arrogant to say tips yeah that kind of yeah. feels like you know yeah so not like but just pit masters but like yeah you know. not pit masters but just stuff that we enjoy so and this was also spurned by if you're an athletic subscriber you know cody like a lot of writers does live q and a's and so if you uh, can recognize my name, usually I put a question in there, sometimes serious, sometimes not, sometimes Taylor Swift related, sometimes food related. And we haven't even talked about Taylor Swift re-releasing an album, which we'll we, would, we, would, <laughs> we would be on here for another three hours if, uh, if, we, if we introduced that subject. But I asked for a barbecue sauce recommendation because I think, you know, the people of Detroit, they need to know good you know, some good barbecue recommendations. And you had one right on the money, uh, Head Country, Hot and Spicy, which is something I had actually used the previous day on on some chicken. So why don't you just elaborate on why you would recommend Head Country? I don't know if it's available in Michigan. One of the things that we're going to, I'm going to try to go to like Walmart and Kroger and try to get like mainstream stuff to try. I don't want to go to like a Texas barbecue store where if you're listening to this in Michigan, there's the chance of you being able to get that or slim, but well, I'm 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 pretty disappointed with the barbecue sauce and salsa offerings at your your average Meyer or Kroger here in Michigan. So I would you know you can order most of this stuff online. I'm gonna hit you with Head Country, which I have never seen in Michigan. Um, I was in Texas for a little bit this fall. And they had some, and you bet I bought some, and you bet uh, I bought a little extra and have it in my fridge right now. I'm going to use it on some ribs here in the next couple of days. I'm very excited about it. Head Country is made in Ponca City, Oklahoma. They have a little restaurant there. It's kind of like their little headquarters. It's not like impressive or anything. It's what you would think a restaurant would be like in Ponca City, Oklahoma. But it's fantastic. The sauce is really good, especially I, I tend to like the spicy so I'm usually either going stub sweet heat or, or head country hot and spicy. But uh, head country is about as good as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah, it's excellent. So for me, I decided to go with my uh, my go-to barbecue sauce, which is Sweet Baby Ray's Sweet and Spicy. And as I've gotten older, I used to not like spicy anything. like, But in college and in years since, I've acquired a bit of a taste for it my fiance will just eat a pepper she's crazy like she there's not anything that's too hot or too spicy for her i'm not like you know he picked a good one that's yeah that's one of the many reasons she's a wonderful lady so 
I like spice, but I don't want it to be like the whole flavor is kind of how I usually describe it. So with the sweet and spicy, it's exactly as it sounds in terms of when you taste it. I actually did get a spoonful right before we started recording so I could speak to this <laughs> from a fresh perspective. That's how much I care about this segment. So when you when you first have it, it's there's a little bit of sweet, but the spicy is what lingers. It's, it, it, it's literally sweet, then spicy. And what I like to do with it is either bone-in chicken. At Kroger, you can buy, like, essentially whole ch- uh, chicken thighs and, and, uh, and drumsticks, like, still together. And you just throw that on the grill. They're already seasoned, and they're usually pretty cheap. You just throw those on the grill, cook them however long you can... Uh, determined based on the temperature how long you need to cook them and then you just take them off heat lather them in the sauce close the bad boy and just let them smoke for you know however long or I like to do country style ribs and same sort of concept you just cook them until they're done take them off heat smoke them and then if you're like me and you gotta have like mac and cheese or you gotta have something else with the meal you can essentially just make that then because you're not there's not really a time limit on how long you can smoke something if you have the right temperature going. So, Sweet Baby Ray's, sweet and spicy. If I have nothing else, that is my go-to. Because I like I like the combination of having hot flavor, but it doesn't overwhelm you. Sweet Baby Ray's, in my opinion, tends to be too sweet. I don't think I've had the, uh, the sweet and spicy, but the regular Sweet Baby Ray's I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, and they have a ton of flavors, and I don't know if that's a recent development. I still remember when it's basically just the original barbecue sauce. Same with Stubbs. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad, my dad loved Stubbs. He be, used to look at the picture and he'd be like, "That is a man with a name that knows his barbecue. Yes. You can't, you can't be named or name yourself Stubbs and work at a vegan restaurant. Like it, <laughs> it just doesn't work. Like he." It's perfect. So I I do like Stubbs, but the my go to is the sweet and sweet and spicy sweet baby rays, and uh, you had told me earlier you're looking at upgrading your grilling situation. Is that something you're looking into? Yeah, I am uh, open to recommendations here. I've already got I've already got one from uh, my friend Mark Gorash, but looking at buying a new grill. Let me just tell you kind of why I'm buying a new grill. I don't know. Remember that girl I took on a date a couple podcasts ago? Yes. Guess how that went. Guess how that went. She she became too busy for a relationship. She told me this two days before opening day. I'm a major league <laughs> baseball beat writer. She was too busy because her job was ramping up. She had the audacity to say that. Hilarious. Anyway, yeah, by the way, she thinking, knows well, what goes into your job. It's not like oh, someone. Oh yeah. There's no ignorance is bliss here. No. Um. So pretty hilarious. Um, over it now, but I was kind of thinking, well, I'm not going to be spending, uh, any more money on dates or, or taking any girls out or trying to impress anyone. I was like, I've got, you know, a little bit of disposable income here. What do I need? And I was like, I'm just a single dude. I need nothing. Like, I was like, I think I'm going to get a grill. Now this <laughs> is, I did, I have the thought, should I go buy a, a Ford Mustang, which I've always wanted? Yes. Would I have had one of those had my ex-girlfriend not told me it was douchey? Yes. 
Did I, did I, Kieran, think better that I don't need to go trade in my car? That would be a horrible idea. But I am going to buy a nice grill for the summer. I just have a pretty basic little small grill right now. Looking at a Weber Spirit, probably one of the smaller ones, but I, I think I want a nice grill. So lean in Weber Spirit unless someone hits me with a better recommendation. Yes, and we'll, rec- we'll welcome all of those on Twitter. He's at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. You can throw us your favorite barbecue sauces or any grill recommendations you have for Cody. I also need a new one because mine rusted out a hole in the bottom. But I figured out I could just cover it with aluminum foil yeah, and and just kind of put off that cost. I'm getting married in a year. I don't like I'm trying to like not have even though a grill wouldn't be that expensive. It's just like, you know, that's money not going toward the the catering or the venue or whatever. So every every dime is counted. So, you know, I, I'm trying to hold off on on making any, think, you know, big purchases. I think the hole in the grill with some foil covering it like adds some character to your grill. I think that's that's like classic, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, shows the ability to kind of make things work, you know, and and like I bought it used for 50 bucks. So I never like took care of it like i would if i like had invested some money into it like i never bought a cover for it like you know so it was bound to happen but it still works you know it still functions and so now now i don't feel as inclined to get a new one um i was gonna say though if to to go back to uh to your ex who said that mustangs were douchey uh did you in the immediate aftermath of that relationship did you feel inclined to just go get a mustang then because I think the delayed uh, gratification would, <laughs> like, it, it would have made more sense to do it immediately afterward as opposed to, you know, however many months or years later. <laughs> Probably so. I, I actually didn't because I, I have a Jeep Compass and I, I love it. I, I love my Jeep. I actually like having the SUV. It's uh, not as big as a Grand Cherokee, but a little extra room. Um, you know, got the leather interior. Like, I actually love my car. So I, I wasn't. I don't know, something about the past few months, I think, I was just maybe like, especially before the season, uh, quote unquote, ramped up and maybe just kind of bored and was like, that's when I really started like, what if I just, I'd been saying, I'll just save the Mustang for my midlife crisis, you know, and that's probably still the plan. But um, I don't know, I actually got like a letter from the dealership, like trying to convince me to trade it in to get like a a 2019 uh, compass. And I was like, that would be super pointless and then i think that just got my mind going and i saw a a newer mustang on my my in my neighborhood and it got me thinking and then but it's not gonna happen i like the compass haven't even had it two years we're gonna keep it we're gonna pay it off and we'll save the mustang for the midlife crisis well good yeah you all you can always go there you know what i mean like because if you get the mustang now god knows what your midlife crisis would be (laughs) (laughs) So, and also, I I do think the grill would be a good investment because, you know, you're in Michigan, you have, you know, you're a Texas born and bred, went to college in Oklahoma, having a nice grill and really being able to fine tune your grilling skills could let you lean into something that could distinguish you on the market of single gentlemen because, you know, we talked about this a lot, especially when I was also single. How you dis- distinguish yourself? You got to do something. Yeah. And so yeah. I think being grill master in a place that doesn't have 
any sort of barbecue track, I think that's a good plan. I, I think so. You can go ahead, uh, ask another colleague of mine, Max Boltman, who covers the Red Wings. I, I feel like I've showed he and uh, his girlfriend a few tips on, on some ribs and some briskets and sauces and salsa, like, you know, and, and I did. I did brisket for the first time last summer, and, and I thought they both turned out pretty well. So, yeah, honing those skills, I think I can already hit the people of Michigan with some good recommendations that they just don't know about because the, the barbecue isn't quite as big of a, a part of the culture. All right, so like I said, you got you got food picks or you got some sauces you like or even some rubs. Send them our way. He's at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. And while you're at it, you can follow our podcast page at Turn Corner Pod. And please, Apple, Spotify, subscribe, rate, review. We really appreciate it. We have a lot of fun doing this podcast. Hope you guys enjoy listening. It's uh, it's Sunday. It's about to be first pitch. I gotta go, Kieran. My job is really ramping up. It's ramping up. You're. I'm a little busy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end this. Uh, I'm gonna end this Zoom call on this podcast right here. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.